I do want to welcome you. Those of you who are new, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, senior pastor, teaching pastor. And it is a privilege to be able to jump into the word today. Uh, a word about visions and gold lampstands and slain lambs and seals and cities and kingdoms and mountains and lakes and lakes of fire and bowls and incense and trumpets and letters and churches and horsemen and moons of blood and earthquakes and tribulations, whores and beasts, horns and locusts and plagues. What the hell? <laughs> and angels and paradise and trees and rivers and a God and his people and everlasting life and no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and the new earth. What the heaven? There has never been a book that has caused more confusion and frustration, more error and more fear, more misinterpretation and misappropriation more, it's never been more avoided or exploited. No book has ever been more avoided or more exploited than the book of Revelation. So I figured, let's do a series on it, huh? <laughs> Why not? I actually have, I am just like you. Uh, those of you who are new to the faith, you might not know this, but this last book of the Bible, it's mildly confusing, <laughs> a little terrifying. Um, it's very hard to understand, and those of you like me that maybe grew up in church, I, I got to be honest, I have tried to read it, been frustrated by it, heard things from preachers and books that I felt like, that can't be a thing, and there's been other times where I felt like people avoid it, and like, that can't be right, and so now I've come to this place in my life where it's like, you know what, time is now to look into this, and let's see what it's all about, and I got to confess to you that for the first time in my life, I've done real study in the book of Revelation and I am finding something to be true. That I grew up my whole life thinking that the, the, the name of the book, Revelation, was ironic because there was no book more confusing and more hard to, to see. But now I'm realizing as I'm getting into it and getting some of the culture and getting some of the context and, and even asking, asking the spirit to reveal it to me, I am finding that I am seeing some things not only in the text that I haven't seen, but now as it is revealing itself to me, it is revealing me and revealing things about this world I live in and about Jesus that I had not seen before. And my hope is for us as we begin this new collection of teachings, we're just gonna start journeying through the book of Revelation. My hope hope is as we start journeying through that it's not only going to change how you see that book, but that the book is going to change how you see everything. That's my prayer for us as we start this journey through the book of Revelation. Uh, this is a great series for you to bring a Bible. Bring a physical Bible, bring your tablet, bring your notepad, bring your phone, bring a device that's going to allow you to dive in because we are going to just verse by verse, section by section, just go through and try to get at least a, a, a beginner's guide to the book of Revelation where we can get out of it what God wants to say to us. Are you up for that? 
So bring your scripture. We're going to have it on the screen as well. I'm going to try my best throughout the series to read from the New Living Translation. Uh, The reason is it's the easiest to understand without giving up on the totality of the words. And so if you're following along in your Bible, that's the translation I'm going to be reading. But I want to help us understand the book of Revelation. And it's been often confused and often avoided. And so let's just jump in and see what we can learn today. And the first has to do with the name Revelation. Now, when you think Revelation, those of you who grew up hearing about it, you think of the end of the world, correct? Most of you do. And in fact, uh, the word Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. It comes from the Greek word where we get the term apocalypse. And now when you hear the word apocalypse, for us, that is synonymous with the walking dead right? It's synonymous with the end of the world. And apocalypse for us means the end of the world, right? That's actually not what the word apocalypse means. The word apocalypse, let me, let me write this for you. It comes from a Greek term. It comes from a Greek word. Like I said, a Greek word, apocalypsis. And it's two terms, the term apo and the term calypsis. And these two terms, apo means away from, And calypsis means veil. And so apocalypsis actually translates the removal of a veil, the unveiling. That's what revelation means. That's actually what apocalypse means. When some of you heard the term John's apocalypse, it means John's unveiling, not John's disaster. That's how we've interpreted it. John is trying to show you something in this apocalypsis, in this unveiling. And so you have to understand, first and foremost, when we get talking about Revelation, this is not about the end of the world. It's about something and someone much greater and much bigger. And John is trying to reveal this to us in this apocalypsis. And now, when we come to the book of Revelation, I want to give us some framework before we dive in for this week's. You understand that this is about revelation. It's about seeing things we haven't seen before and unveiling that God wants to take away the veil. He wants to remove something that's blocking your vision and my vision. That's the purpose of this book right up front. It's in the name. It's in the title. And now you need to understand something else. When it comes to the book of Revelation, this book does not happen in a vacuum. A lot of the time we read this as though it's this standalone book that's just kind of off doing its own thing and we're trying to understand it, but you need to realize that it is part of a much larger story. It's part of the larger story of Scripture. In fact, the totality of Scripture doesn't make sense without it, and it doesn't make sense without the rest of the Scripture. It's all tied together. The book of Revelation isn't just the last book in your Bible physically, it is, but it's also the last book of the Bible chronologically. And it ties up the story of God. And guess what? We're inside the story of God. It ties up the whole story so you and I can understand the story and the times in which we are in. Now, my favorite way to understand the scripture, if you want to just kind of get a quick glimpse of how to get your head around the story of scripture, uh, a mentor of mine, he spoke at our XY conference last spring, Kevin Myers, he has a great way for us to be able to understand how scripture tracks. Your Bible, if you have it open, actually has two halves, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Hang with me and teach for a second. You can kind of split it into two, two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And these two sections actually mirror one another, this story. It's quite interesting. It begins with God and man 
in perfect union, in paradise, right? Genesis 1 and 2, if you ever had time to go back and look at it, it talks about how God created all things. And then we find in Genesis 3, we find Satan and sin enter the story. Genesis 3, the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve. Sin enters the story. And this is where we get destructiveness and brokenness. And really, the totality of the rest of the scripture until Revelation is dealing with that issue. And then it continues on. They get to Genesis chapter 6. And what does God do? Sin has escalated so violently and so incredibly that God does what? God judges the world through what? A flood. He judges the world with water. And then it keeps going and you get to Genesis 10 and 11 and we find that humanity again has reassembled and now they're creating amazing destructive order and we find that there's a one world government in Genesis 10 and 11, the Tower of Babel. And then after that, we find God calls a man named Abraham, creates 12 tribes, a new governance, we'll call it the Old Covenant. And then from Genesis 12, get this, some of you are new to this, I'm going to help some people. From Genesis 12 all the way to the book of Matthew is all leading up to Jesus. And the, literally, not only does the scripture split at Jesus, history split at Jesus. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the before and the after. And the scripture follows that and it literally splits in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the gospel. Okay, you hanging with me? Everybody good? And then it flips over and you start to see the parallel unfold again. What do you see? You see Jesus establish his kingdom. You see Jesus establish a new covenant. He doesn't have 12 tribes. What does he have? 12 disciples. Hmm. We'll call this the new covenant. Where again, the people of God are starting to live out the promise and the blessing of God, this covenant of God. And then that fleshes out the rest of the New Testament under the new covenant. And we're still in that. And you read the rest of the New Testament until you get to the book of Revelation. And Revelation starts to fill in the rest of the story. Revelation we find in, in chapter 6, we'll get there in a couple months, <laughs> it, we find out that there's a one world government again, coming again. And then you get to Revelation 6 through like 11, up to, up to 14 even, we deal with the judgment only this time it's not water, it's fire. Some of you know that, yeah. God will judge things with fire. And then we find it gets really good near the end of the story. I always, always encourage spoiling this story, the story of your life. Go to the end. If you believe in Jesus, it works out real good. <laughs> we find in, Gen in, in Revelation chapter 20, sin and Satan exit. See ya. Woo! And then in Revelation 20 and 21, we find restored God and man in paradise, in perfect union forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's the story that we live in. That's the context of this book, Revelation. And everything that happens in Revelation is really unfolding this wanting us to get a grip on and wanting us to understand what happens in this space right here. That's what Revelation is, is all about. That's the, so, so you got that in your minds now? That's how we need to come to it. Realize it's about unveiling, unveiling this time, but it's bigger than that actually. Now, 
It was meant to be not just this unveiling, not just an unveiling for this timeline, but it's much bigger than that. It was meant to be a lens for life. God gave us the book of Revelation that we could see. Let, let, what do I mean by that? Let's, let's dive in and I'll unpack it a little bit. I got so much, I don't even know what to tell you. Let's do this. All of our locations, even if you're watching online today because you get stormed in, let's read this out loud together with one voice. And you're going to see why I want you to do this, but let's do it together. You ready? Here we go. This is a revelation, come on, from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. That's good. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Good reading, y'all. I am, I am touched right now. I thought I was going to carry you. You carried me. That felt good. That felt really good. Now, did you see why I asked you to read that out loud? Did you see the blessing, the, the triple blessing? One of the purposes of this is actually the blessing of the people who read it and obey it and hear it. So some of you, like tomorrow at work, need to get up in your cubicle and just start walking down the aisle reading, then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepare to blow their mighty blasts. And people will look at you and you're like, what is your problem? You say, I'm just blessing me and blessing all who hear it and even those who obey it. It's a trifold blessing. There is blessing. But more than that, it's to also show the end of the story to bring present blessing. And then, did you catch it? It also says, John even gives more purpose for the letter. It tells us, says uh, this letter is from John. We'll get into who he is a little bit more next week. Uh, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, and it's actually more than the seven churches. Seven means complete, so it's the church. Here's why. I want to bring grace and peace to you from Jesus. That's why we're doing this. So this is this letter. Now, let's just, let's just pause here for a second. It would seem to us when you read said letter that John is not bringing a whole lot of clarity with the grace and peace. You start reading it like, go ahead this week and start reading ahead and just see how you make out. Like you read it and you're like, this makes zero sense. Does anybody, can we just be honest in church? Anybody read it? And you're like, what on earth is this? It is so hard to wrap your head around. Now, I want to help you for a minute. The book of Revelation, the content of it, this letter that John was writing to real people in a real time, he was writing it in language that, and, and a type of writing that does not exist anymore. And so you gotta understand something that when you and I are reading it, there is language and a type of communication that there is no equivalent for us. And the best way I can help you understand that is this. Like imagine you could get in the time machine 
and we could like press the button, beep, 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 that's the sound of a time machine, and you go in the future, and we land 2,000 years from now, provided everything's still running. Now, what would somebody who maybe stumbled on music from the 1960s do if they just started reading some of the lyrics? Like maybe they show up and they start, they find the Beatles anthology. They're like, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. And they have no idea what LSD is. Right? Sorry. I don't know if that's a rumor has it. Or they find like, we all live in the yellow submarine. They're going to read that and they'd be like, who are all these people and how did they all fit in this yellow submarine? Right? They're going to be like, because they're listening to something that made sense in the 60s that doesn't make sense anymore. Correct? They're like, well, yeah, the 60s are crazy. Okay, let's, let's pick on the 70s. The 70s, they had their own ways of communicating. Like, like let's go to Motown. Remember a little Motown, a little Marvin Gaye? Oh, I bet you're wondering how I knew about your plans to make me blue with some other guy that you knew before. Between the two of us guys, I know you love me more. You, know, you took me by surprise, I must say. That one? When I found out yesterday, don't you know that I heard it through the... Yeah, you know that. And so someone hears that and they're like, what is the grapevine? Was this some type of communication device? Where they, how are they transmitting this relationship? Or maybe you're like, well, that's Motown. That's kind of, kind of had their own culture. Let's, let's go to like 70s white people. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. <laughs> Always wanted to sing that in church. Just saying. Every generation, every era has its own language that you understand. You have to be there to understand it. You can, we, can, we can still go to the 80s, the 90s. Don't even get me started. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. I sit back with a brand new edition. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. When it's going to stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock the mic, I rock the mic like a vandal. Light up the stage, I'll have to chomp like a candle. Dance. There it is. My, my wife's like, what a nerd. Okay, I'll pick on yours. You are my fire, the one desire. Yeah. Oh, wow. A bunch of you just sung that more than you did. You are worthy of all the glory. Check your heart. Man. All these times, they, all these eras, they had their... I feel like we're leaving out the kids. Can you imagine if they show up, if someone finds this in 3,000 years, I got the horses in the back, horse tack is attached, hat is matty black, got the boots that's black to match, riding on the horse, hey, you can whip the Porsche, hey, I've been in the valley, you ain't built a porch, can't nobody tell me. Yeah, you don't know it. So the point is this, after I've humiliated myself for your benefit, the point is this, there is language that we know because we live here, we live now. And when we read something from 2000 years ago, this is written in 95 AD. So we've got a cool 2000 year bake and there is language 
that gets lost on us. And you need to know something though. When the people who initially got this were reading it, they weren't like, oh, what does that mean? And they weren't saying, well, this will be great someday when this all matters. This was a now word to a now people. And that's what we need to understand when we come to the book of Revelation. And, and so John starts to give us some handles on how we need to frame it all in. The reason Revelation gets lost on us is a lot of the time it's in a language that we no longer understand. And then to top it off, John has to put description to the indescribable and communicate what cannot be communicated. So not only are we at a disadvantage with the language he uses, but we're also at a disadvantage because he's putting human language on things that we just cannot wrap our heads around. And this is the backdrop of the book of Revelation. Now let's keep going. He gives us now the framework that we need to read the rest of it. Are we still hanging? Did I lose you at, when you know the sun is always shining in the, I lost you with that one, didn't I? <laughs> I was waiting for my uh, my to stand up with me. So let's keep going. So it says, then from Jesus Christ, so this comes from John, but now I want you to catch this. This revelation, it was in verse one, and now here it is again in verse five. It actually says, this is the revelation from and of Jesus Christ. And then here it says it again. This is the revelation from, and actually some of your translations will say of. And the reason for that, the reason one translation says from and one says of is because it actually says both. It's a word that means it's of Jesus and from Jesus. That's important. This revelation is from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. Now watch where the language starts going. It was talking about who he's writing to, talking about the purpose, and now he gets into the real point of it all, and this never moves. Talking about Jesus, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead. So he's referring to what? The resurrection. This is past tense. And now he is the ruler, present tense, of all the kings of the world. So talking about his authority. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by what? Shedding his blood for us. Now, what's that referring to? The cross. It's referring to the cross, what Jesus did. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Let's keep looking. Let's keep, keep going. The next, and this is where we'll stop for today. Look. Everyone say, look. look. That's the title of my message. Look. See Jesus See all. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. Again, it's calling back. Are you, are you seeing how this is? It's, it's, it's referring to what happened. It's referring to what is. It's referring to what's going to happen. It's referring to how he died. It's referring to what that means for us, that we are a kingdom of priests. It's referring that he's coming again. It's referring to that he was pierced. It's referring to the fact that God has made us an inheritance. It's referring to what's going to happen. Are you catching this? It's starting to frame in a perspective. And everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Now, John starts framing it in for us. Did you catch it? 
He's talking, he, what, what, what did he cover? He, he, he talked about who? He talked about Jesus. Talked about what he did, right? Died, he was pierced. Talks about who we are or what that, uh-oh, that's not good. There we go. Uh-oh, that's still not good. Technology, y'all. There we go. He talked about uh, what he did. He talked about what that means for us, our inheritance. And he talked about the fact that what? He's coming. And then Jesus, in his own words, says, I am the one who is currently, presently, the one who always was, and the one who is yet to come. And so I hope you're catching this. Jesus is the one who currently is, always was, and is yet to come. This revelation is not just from Jesus, but it is of Jesus, and you need to see something. John is framing in the scope, the framework, the lens by which you and I are supposed to see everything. It is through the revelation of the one who was, who is, and who is to come. That you are supposed to make the point of your focus. What's the point? Here it is. He's saying like, now, look, look at him. What is the revelation? Jesus. Who is the revelation? It's Jesus. Who brings the revelation? Jesus. He is the focal point. He is the framework. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the first and the last. I know I know, I might be confusing you, but get this. John is trying at the start of this because it's gonna talk about things present, things past, and things future. He is saying no matter what you are looking at, look at it through the lens and the perspective of the one who was, who is, and who always will be. Look at it through that lens. You ever been to a, th- a 3D movie? Six of you. <laughs> like, movies are from the devil. Read Revelation. <laughs> I remember one time, so I took my son Aiden, my kids, I don't remember which it was. It must have been his first 3D movie because I remember sitting with him and at the, at the start of a movie, you'll see the previews, and, and some of the previews won't be in 3D, right? And then what will happen? A sign will come on the screen, and it will say what? Please put on your 3D glasses. It says, please put on your 3D glasses. And at that point, if you don't put on your 3D glasses, you're not really going to make out the image. In fact, it's going to be distorted and blurry and very hard to follow. And so I'm watching this movie, and I, I saw the cue, and not being a super on the ball parent that day, didn't realize that my son, who was, I think, five at the time, couldn't read, and (laughs) watching this, and I look over like 10 minutes in, and he's like, (laughs) it's like, oh, bud, and I, I took the glasses, and all of a sudden, it comes to life. All of a sudden, he's seeing what he couldn't see, and he's experiencing something he was not experiencing. And and verse 7 is essentially this. When you start to read the book of Revelation, this, if this was a movie, there would be a thing come on the screen that says, please put on 3D glasses. Don't try to understand this without any other lens. 
Don't be hearing this without any other lens. Don't try to see this without any other framework because it's just going to go bad. It's gonna be distorted and dark and dysfunctional, but if you put on that lens of the one who was, is, and is to come, everything's gonna come to life. That's the revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus. Here's the simple takeaway today. John wants you to see Jesus and see everything through him. See Jesus, see all. See Jesus, see your past differently. See Jesus, see your present differently. See Jesus, see what is to come differently. He becomes the revelation. He becomes the framework. He becomes your point of view. He becomes the light that illuminates. That's the point here. It's, is Jesus your perspective? Is Jesus the lens through which you look? This is what Revelation is all about. You see, Revelation has been twisted. It's interesting. It's interesting. As I've been reading, I read one commentary that says, you know, Revelation was given so that the church could interpret the times. It was given as a lens so that we could interpret this life that we live in right now. Revelation is not a, this will be helpful later. Revelation is not a someday book. Revelation is a right now thing. And Revelation was given so that the church could interpret the times now. But ironically, this commentary said, ironically, the church has used the times to interpret Revelation. And so we look at this world and then we try to make sense of it. And we say, okay, so there's things going on in Iran right now. And so where do we find that in here, right? So there's Apache helicopters. Those must be the locusts. Y'all think I'm playing. Where's Nicolas Cage? Right? It's funny, though. It's funny, but it's not. We've made this book. Most of us read this book like we're the screen, like we're the movie trying to make sense of the glasses. But this is actually glasses to make sense of the movie. This is a lens to make sense of everything. And some of you who don't know Jesus, let me say this, you are are trying to make sense of this world and you don't realize that you're on the other side of the screen and this story isn't about you. It's about him. And there is a lens, a framework, a purview, a perspective that actually when you put him on and you put the mind of Christ on, it changes everything and it brings everything to life. It puts everything in light and the perspective that actually colors come alive. Things that you weren't seeing before, now you see it's incredible in every single way. And, and John gets to it. I wish I had more time because this is, this is fun and this is helpful. But look, look, John says, I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come. So, so three ideas I just want to share with you really quick. When, when, you put on, when you put on the lens, let's call them gospel glasses. You need to be walking and living your life no matter where you look or what you look at, no matter when you see it or what you think about, you're looking at it through the lens of the eyes and the revelation of and who Jesus Christ is. Everything. So, so John invites us first and foremost, see Jesus, see Jesus, put on the lens, see Jesus, and you will see the was. 
who was. But not just who was, when you put on the was, all of a sudden your was becomes different. You, 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 all of a sudden, Jesus, when you make him your perspective, he redefines, reorients, and restores your past. He takes things that were distorted and dysfunctional and broken and busted, and he brings it into alignment and life and decorates it in glory. That's what Jesus does. How many of you know, like you, you look, you take, the, you take these glasses off. I mean, if I take these glasses off and I look at my past, but when you put the glasses on you put the grace of God on and you let you remind yourself when you look back I am a new creation the old is gone and the new has come the gospel lets me see it lets me see that who I am is who he is and who I was is who he was some of you are like I don't know what you mean Look look what John says he calls us back to it, doesn't he? He is the faithful witness of these things, the first to rise from the dead. Remember, remember, he rose in victory. He established the new creation and the new covenant. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he did this, how? By shedding his blood for us. You have been covered, made new, made whole, restored. The old is gone, the new has come. Isaiah says, though your sins were scarlet, it was, it was red and messed up. Now they're as white as snow through faith in Jesus. He makes you new. He changes you and he, he takes what was not glorious and makes it beautiful. He takes what was dysfunctional and makes it glorious. And not just in some superficial way. Like in reality, he uses the materials of your past to make a beautiful, beautiful statement of his glory and goodness. I had a, a moment this week, some brothers, we were praying for one of our, one of our dear friends and he's just saying, I'm worried, I'm worried. Like, like God has done a great work in my life, but I'm worried that you know, some of the mistakes of my past are gonna root themselves out in the future and they're gonna, they're gonna maybe affect my family in this moment where the spirit of God just interrupted. And there's Pastor Dan that says, we are just claiming right now that when Jesus says that the old is gone and the new has come, that that really means like the old is gone and the grace of God is so sufficient that it's actually not able, it's not only able to say that all is covered and all is forgiven, it's also able to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into good. That all those mistakes you made are now gonna be a message and that's not gonna be a disadvantage. The grace of God, he is so sufficient in what he was and who he was. What he did was so sufficient that it's actually able to take your mistakes and leverage them for his glory and your good. And your good. It's incredible. See, see Jesus. See what was. Like, how do you see your past? I was driving... I forget who was in the car. We were on the way to Halifax campus like last month and there was an ice storm, funny enough. And there was, we, we came around this corner and I, I have to leave super early when I go on a Sunday morning. We, we get up before the sun's up and we came around a corner coming into Nova Scotia and, and right around this bend, it was just perfect timing. The sun rose and came up over the horizon and cast this new light on these trees that we'd just been seeing, just miles and miles of trees. You go through the Cobblequid Pass, it's just forest, Right. Just miles of just plain old dead trees, actually. No leaves. And the sun comes up, and all of a sudden, this new light's shining on it. 
And I'll tell you what, I, I saw the U2 360 tour twice. Very impressive lighting. This was glory. Like it, it shimmered. You know what we wanted like our Christmas lights to do? It really did. And it was just the whole forest came alive. It was incredible. It was dangerous actually. I was like veering over, you know, trying to stay on the road, right? This is what the, the glory of God does, the light of Jesus. The, the Bible says that we have this treasure in jars of clay, that the cracks and the breaks, they become designs in the beautiful light and tapestry of what God is weaving. Let me just say to somebody who thinks your past is too broken, not for Jesus. Not for Jesus to take and make incredible, make something that you're no longer even ashamed of. You would say, look what Jesus has done. See what was through the lens of Jesus. Second thing I would say this, see what is. Jesus doesn't just reset and redefine our past, but when you put on this lens, this isn't just a thing for yesterday or a thing for tomorrow. The revelation of Jesus is something for right now. Right now, and what he does is he reveals the present. He takes us from walking in darkness to be able to detect reality. This is what Jesus was talking about. He says, I, look, I've come that you may see. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. If you don't know Jesus and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you aren't wearing that lens of faith in Jesus, the Bible would unapologetically say you are blind. And what blind people have to do is they have to rely on other senses. And, and here, we live in a time, quite honestly, where we are relying on every sense but, the faith, but faith in Jesus. We are letting the winds of culture guide us. The cravings of our appetites guide us. Well, this feels right and this seems right. Has anybody ever just been downright confused? Like, how... Frankly, some of the issues like geopolitically and morally and all of those things are very complicated. Anyone? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't come just to die and cover your past. He came to guide you. Do you know what his invitation was? Follow me. Follow me. Revelation 7 says, at the, or sorry, Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he gave all kinds of guides and framework to understand life. And then, and then he wraps it up and he says, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, it's like a man whose life is on rock solid ground. You can see, you can navigate. He becomes the way that we understand truth. We, we put on these glasses. You see, a lot of us live as practical atheists. We believe in God, but there's no practical application. You, you need to be a follower of Jesus. That means thinking like he thinks, having the mind of Christ. That means seeing that which he's looking at. That means believing what he tells us to believe. That means doing what he says to do. That means abstaining from what he says to abstain from. That's following Jesus, and that's what brings life. See Jesus, see the is, see who is, life can be hard. And, and frankly, sometimes you just get blindsided, can't you? I, I was driving uh, a couple months ago 
I, the first time I ever slipped a fairly bad word in front of my kids, um, not my finest moment. I, I almost ran this kid on a scooter over. Like I was just driving and I didn't see him at all. And he just goes, boom, right in front of the hood of my car. And I'm, right? Anybody almost kill someone recently? It's very scary. <laughs> <laughs> and so I reacted, and then, and then and my, my kids are all like, <laughs> and then I had to preach a sermon, well, you know, daddy shouldn't have said that, but I'm forgiven, saved by grace, and you know, I'm a human too, and anyway, I was thinking, man, life, life can be like that though, things can just come out of nowhere, can't they? One phone call, one afternoon, one car accident, one diagnosis, and all of a sudden, but here's the thing. Jesus says, he who follows me will never walk in darkness even though the times are dark. You can see. See Jesus. The gospel doesn't just let me see that who I was, he is. It also lets me see that who I am and what currently is, he is. Last thought, and I'll, and I'll pray for you. See Jesus. See the is to come. You know, it's going to get real as we get looking at Revelation because a lot of it does have to do with things yet to happen. There are three ways to read Revelation. There's the preterist view, which some people will tell you that the whole thing's already happened. It's, this is just meant for first century and this all happened and it was just a letter and that's just supposed to, how you're supposed to interpret it. I think that's objectively wrong. Um, then there are some people who are called, uh, there's preterists, there's futurists, there's people who say that this is all gonna happen in the future. And, and I would say that's objectively wrong as well because there are things that have already happened, did happen and will happen. And, and the historicist view and the view that I hold and we're gonna work from is that this was true, is currently true, and will be true. And things have happened, are happening, and will happen. And that's the lens we need to read this through. But it's going to get real raw and real. And it's going to start to speak of some things that really are yet to come. Specifically, the second coming of Christ. We don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about the fact that he, he is coming again. And this is, this is the main thing that, that John wanted you to see. He says, look, he's coming. He comes with the clouds of heaven. Notice, that's very different than how he came the first time. He came up from within the first time. For our benefit, not his. For our salvation, not his. He came in obscurity. This time he's coming in triumph. He's coming in complete dominion and utter authority. And you're going to see that on the pages of this letter. It's, it's intense. Let, let me tell you something. Jesus is intense. He's a real king. Like don't, I pray among other things as we go through this series that this just washes some of that superficial, cheap, little, weak Jesus out of our minds. He is mighty it's, we're going we're gonna to see next week, it says like, he's the one whose eyes burn like fire. His, sword, his tongue is like a double-edged sword. His feet are bronze. They, they're conquering. That's who this is. Just look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Even people who defiantly close their eyes off to him. You, are, you have a date with destiny where you will see what has been hidden to you. And you will see it 
in clarity. Even those who pierced him, all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Whoa, what? Isn't this supposed to be joyous? Depends. It depends. Now watch, all the nations will mourn for him. It's not like he's bipolar. Yes! Amen! I am the, he's speaking of the second coming. And, and, and here's the point. You need to consistently see Jesus as one who is to come. That there are either great or terrible days ahead. Depending on what your revelation is. Why will people mourn? Because the Bible says when Jesus comes back, it's too late. Like right now, we're in a grace period. It says in 1 Peter, it says, don't think that God is being slow to return. He's being patient so that you will get on board because when he comes back, it's a done deal. And so for those of you who, who have not given your life to Jesus, like, like see the one who is to come. This is not some fluffy, superficial religion. This isn't a pick-me-up. This isn't a self-help. This isn't one way among many ways. Jesus came. He says, I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, anyone who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, that I am who I say I am, and he will come again, and you have a decision to make. Like, who is he to you? Uh, the Bible says it's going to be a great and terrible day. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, I, I'm just, I love you enough to say it like it is. And honestly, I, I generally don't preach like this, but you need to hear it. Like, he's coming. And you will see him one day, whether it's his return or whether it's your departure. You will have a moment where you see Jesus is Lord. And the time is now to bow the knee and say, you are Lord. And I, I receive you and I see my past, my present, and my future through your grace and through your goodness and through your power and through your might. That's what John is trying to get you to see. Look at the one who is and was and is to come. And now for those of you who don't know Jesus, you need to consider, are you right with God? Now for the rest of you who already live this way, I think sometimes we get so caught up in life, we take these off. Ben, you can come back. I can hear you sneaking around. Sometimes we, we, we take these off in life and, and you, people of faith, I do it. And you get caught up in these moments, especially when you go through trial and tragedy and disappointment and pain, you take these glasses off and you try to just deal with reality. It's reality. And here's the great tragedy of that. This is the great gift. This is the great gift of revelation. Like we're supposed to keep our eyes focused on his second coming. Do you know, like the, the early church, like the ones who would have gotten this book, they had a saying, it says, they used to greet one another to say, Maranatha, which literally translates, it means come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're going to get to the end of the book in Revelation that's going to say, the spirit and the bride say, come Jesus. The church should be the people who are first to rise up and say, you know what the best thing for my life would be? If Jesus came back right now. You know what the best thing for St. John would be? If Jesus, if the skies just split and Jesus just came back. If you don't long for his return, you haven't seen him. Or you haven't been through anything. But we're invited 
to put this on. The Bible says, the Bible says, it says in 2 uh, Corinthians, it says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's passing. It's here and gone. But what is unseen is eternal. And, and, and what is unseen, these, these light these light momentary afflictions pale in comparison to the weight of glory. You see, we stay focused and fixed on the one who is to come and it counterbalances the weight of this world. And some of you have been through that and like some of you have dealt with tragedy enough to actually know what it's like to put your hope in heaven. See the one who was and is and is to come. You live pregnant. You live pregnant. Like, you remember what it's like to be nine months pregnant? I don't. My wife does. But I remember what it's like around the house. I don't know when, just any day I can see. And the Bible says like, y'all, we are in the last, last days. You know, and yeah, people have been saying for 2,000 years, well, there's a war, Jesus is coming back, look. We're one day closer to his return. Some of you that should make you real excited. Some of you, you should think about it. What is your perspective? How do you see your past, the present, and the future? Let me ask this question. Those of you who would say you're a believer, are you actually living wearing this? Some of you who are dealing with condemnation right now, you're like, I'm a Christian and I did that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for him who is in Christ Jesus. Put on the glasses. Let the grace of God wash away your dysfunction. Again, fresh and new. Some of you, you're living your life according to your cravings and according to your desire and your understanding. The Bible invites us to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our path. And some of you are living like you have no hope. You're living like the best days are behind you. Not at all. Look, he's coming. He's coming. Let, let hope rise in that. This is temporary. And you, depending on whether or not you have eyes to see it, are going to see the increasing difficulty of revelation, and then it breaks forth into beauty everlasting. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I just realized with a, with a, with a word this big, uh, there's a variety of ways that's probably speaking to people right now. And God, I pray right now for the one who's dealing with their own dysfunction, the brokenness of their past. Lord Jesus, I pray that right now they would just have the faith to take you at your word and to believe that your grace is sufficient even for them. Lord, I pray that the mercy and grace of the one who was pierced for us, who shed his blood for us would wash over them brand new right now. Lord, for those of us trying to navigate this world, would you teach us what it looks like to follow you, to wear the easy yoke, to actually be followers and disciples of Jesus that we wouldn't be the blind led by the blind, but we would be those whose eyes have been seen led by the light of the world. And Father, for those of us dealing with questions of tomorrow, Father, for the one who's not right with you, 
even as your spirit's speaking to them right now, I pray that they would humble themselves and bow the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords in holy fear. But that in that moment, like the song says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved that they would see that you are good and you're for them and you love them and you have a plan for them. And God, for the one who's dealing with difficulty, I pray that the hope of your coming would overwhelm the troubles of today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.